Kia ora guys, welcome to season two of Pretty Depressed with me, Kim Crossman. We get deeper, darker and dirtier this season. <laughs> These chats are unfiltered and they're not for sensitive ears. We do talk about drugs, sex, alcohol, death, grief, alternative therapy, labels and suicide. And a bit of a disclaimer, none of my guests nor myself are in any way mental health professionals. So if you're not in a good place, then I do strongly advise that you seek out professional help. A huge thank you to all of my guests for being so vulnerable and for sharing so much. I gained so many lessons and tokens from these chats that I can apply to my own life, and I hope that you do too. If you want to join the community and the conversation, you can find us at Pretty Depressed on Instagram or on Facebook at Facebook forward slash Pretty Depressed Community. In this episode, I talk to Frankie Shaw. Now, you will know Frankie from Smill, from Mr. Robot. She's amazing. I love this episode because we talk a lot about social anxieties, eating disorders, and bravery. This is Pretty Depressed with Frankie. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm great. It's good. How you are... look great. Thank you. What would you say that you've probably learned about yourself in lockdown? Oh, I mean, I really am a homebody. So there's like part of me that's really just like leaned all the way in and um, and reveled in my family. You know, mm-hmm. having these sort of dinners every night, the ritual of dinner has been really great. Um, the slowing down um, has felt really good, too. I know I'm like really lucky, you know, and privileged to say the sure. positive parts of, of this um, and then, oh, just like if the waves of anxiety, like some days there, it's like spiked and, and just like being able to see it because every day is the same. That's interesting. So you mean like when life is chaotic, it kind of can creep up and. Or you're just like running around doing a million things to distract yourself and you're like, oh, today. And then just having this sort of time to have that relationship with yourself. So you're. You can be a witness to it and then maybe vocalize it like, oh, shit. Oh, I'm having so much anxiety today. And then even just that, whether it's like a check in with a friend or to Zach or something. And then you're like, okay, you know. Do you have uh, regular triggers that spike anxiety or does yours kind of come? Because I think people who a lot of times with panic attacks, they like didn't feel it coming or, you know. Yeah. um, I guess like throughout my life it has totally changed but it's tied to like uh probably self-worth and oh you know just like the running tape of did I say something the wrong thing or that kind of thing you know um it's like uh yeah it's just like wanting or like maybe it's external validation um Fear, like things that I'll bring up, like future security, like all that stuff of, you know. Yeah, I software. do. Software. <laughs> uh, yep, yep, got, got all that. Yeah, I think that it's been interesting that, like, I noticed that um, alcohol was a fun thing to do. But also, I've been really trying since I saw you last to flag my spiraling thoughts mm-hmm. and stop them in their tracks, mm-hmm. which is a really hard discipline because it's feel it's such a pull of just exaggerated thought and then it one thing became like this whole it might be like 
oh, I didn't get a text back. No one ever texts you back. Have you noticed how none of your friends reach out to you? Mm-hmm. Like maybe you're a bad friend. No one likes you. You shouldn't be here. <laughs> like, and it's like happens so quickly. So, yeah. And I noticed that, you know, if we we watched the silly someone, Ye- not silly, it's a great documentary, someone yay documentary. I'm like, I think I want to be a wine expert. <laughs> this feels like a great thing to do. Uh, and so we've been just for like, you know, occasionally being like, oh, we'll try Riesling tonight or whatever. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I've just noticed that just with a little bit of alcohol, how I stop policing that. And it's, yeah. It's so it helps you, you're saying? No. Oh, I think it, yeah, it like exaggerates. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, oh, why am I shitty? And why am I suddenly doing this on Instagram or whatever? Not that I'm just putting it to alcohol, but yeah, it's it's battling me while I'm trying to control the spiral. Because it takes you out of like the present moment, like many things, but mm. I think it like uh, exaggerates it maybe. Yeah, it's tough. Because it, it's this distraction. I actually haven't, my husband, I went to this uh, screening mm-hmm. and had a tequila, maybe tequila on the rocks or something. Sure. <laughs> and then woke up at four in the morning the next day and my husband, Zach, was like, I just think your body is allergic. You know, he's just like, I think, like, you, whenever even just a drink, you wake up at four, you know, and he's yeah. been sober for 10 years. Oh, okay. And so I was like, okay, it's just something he said that, and I just like, well, let me just see if that's true. And so that was mid-January, and I haven't drank since then. Oh. And so I actually feel grateful that in quarantine I don't have that option because I just was like, yeah. I'm just going to keep going. Um, but I. How do you feel? I mean, I feel great. I'm definitely sleeping past four. Great. <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah, and um, I think like I, I I am like a lightweight and very sensitive to like all sort of substances, and so even just one glass. I'm more of like a sugar addict and a food addict. I mean, that's been my story. I've mm-hmm. like had terrible eating disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think there was just like maybe a relationship to that sugar rush. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then not having that not be an option. And um, do you control your sugar intake now? No, or? because I, I was like a crazy bulimic for a very long okay. time, and hospitalized. And Shit, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm, yeah. Okay. And, and so, and that's actually a. a was this young? This was like it start. I mean, it started young. Yeah, my first like diet was when I was nine years old. I'm sorry. Oh, I, and and I was. I think I was hospitalized twice. The first time when I was like 20 or something, mm-hmm. and then the way I thought to control it was to be super restrictive. Um, I was like, well, if I just follow this, and I joined this whole program and this group to to do that, and it works for some people, but. It does not work for me. So right. I actually have to be really gentle with myself and not have any rules right. around it. And then I, you know, it's like part of the self-forgiveness practice of like, oh, it's okay. You can. And so I do. That's how I operate now. But it took me many years to get there. I imagine um, and how much or how little you want to kind of dive into it. I imagine in eating disorder in or an addiction to the control or whatever must be one of the most not to rank them but a very difficult addiction purely for the fact that you need food to survive right like alcohol it's like well it's <laughs> abstain from it yeah like that must be really stressful yeah i mean i think so in my journey of recovery for a while it was like this um program of restriction 
And I have like a wild, um, what I've learned is called an abstinence violation effect. So like if I had one cucumber piece outside of that plan, I'm like, well, fuck it. I might as well spend $200 on groceries and lock myself in a room and see you tomorrow. Yeah. You know? And so that's why the like gentleness is really important because it is tied into like perfectionism and, um, like just this, it's part of the whole, like, uh, the self-worth, mm-hmm. you know? And um, so actually what really helped me, this is sort of like a wild um, approach, was I ended up sort of by chance doing MDMA journey therapy. And I never, because of my eating disorder, like I was never into like partying yeah. and drugs that like in high sure. school and college. <laughs> I was just like into what like how skinny soli- I could get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, tell so, me more. And so I ended up, going sort of by chance with my best friend who was trying to figure out if she um, like was going to divorce her husband okay. and so wanted to like a spiritual journey sure. to access parts of herself that she was afraid to access. I'm picturing like an ayahuasca shaman situation. Yes, Is that- but there's no like hallucinatory elements to this okay. and there's no purging and there's no puking. <laughs> it's the shitting myself that I'm, yeah, I'm like, and none of that either. I, could, I don't really want anyone to see me vomit, but the last thing I want is me being just shitting Pooping myself. Pooping yourself. Kind of. Like that feels like the worst thing to do in a group of people. Yeah, that uh, would be kind of embarrassing. <laughs> that would be the, okay, so there's but none this of that with more just like okay. um, stripping away uh, anxiety mm-hmm. and like getting you really heart centered and mm-hmm. um, and so so I went with her and the group was sort of focused around her you know and I remember having sort of like a creative breakthrough in that one mm-hmm. moment um, I was actually in the middle of writing the very first smell pilot outline and I like okay. was like I like went into a room and just like started just like like thinking about that um, because it was like what it does is um, somebody who's not on it is leading it. Great. And he will talk to you before you have a whole sort of introduction for like two hours with the group Mm -hmm. and is like, what are you going through and what are you hoping to get out of this? Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's no expectations from the night. It's not like, oh, we need to go and get into some therapeutic discussion and like my Mm -hmm. mom and my dad and like, it's just sort of like where the night takes you. Okay. And so, um, that specific night, it was like, it was just sort of like, um, this one shaman guy was talking to my friend, like one-on-one, you know, like here, we're going to get into it. So then I was like wandering off. And so I had this other experience, but then did it maybe one or two more times and noticed the food obsession shifting. Interesting. So it wasn't even like I was going in there. I thought, yeah, I thought like eventually I'll just get it with this strict program. Like event, like I'm like, I'd been, I was in it for nine years, which is totally crazy um, for something that like wasn't working. I will make it work. I'm going to stick with it. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Um, And so I sort of had this opposite. So I, and I had done the 12 steps in the food program, this part yeah. of it, which which is the same as AA twelve steps, totally, and it altered, gives you like sure. wonderful tools mm. for uh, looking at your part in things. Mm. You know, that's like the fourth step, and then it also talks about meditation, which is still an important, really important part um, in my life. But doing that sort of those journeys um, uh, fixed some sort of PTSD 
aspect in my brain. I really mm. believe that because yeah. it just, I just got a lot gentler with myself. And so I stopped, I like left that program, which was you usually when you're like in a relationship and, and a person joins like a program of recovery, their partner's like, oh, thank God. Right. My husband's like, oh, thank God you left. Okay. Got it. Great. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so since then it's like, it's not like it's all gone, Sure. you know, like I'll have sort of like moments of just self-loathe body shame. Um, but I can sort of separate and recognize that it's like a, what ideal am I striving for, which mm-hmm. feels like part of something that I completely don't agree with, which yeah. is this sort of... Um, Do you, you have know. that ideal? Is there like a Megan Fox in this movie? Oh, it's, kind of? it's really like when I'm at a specific Okay, way. it's more you. Yeah. Okay, got it, got it. Yeah, like when I see other people's bodies, I'm like, they're beautiful. Like I don't have <laughs> the same sort of... Interesting. Yeah, it's Criteria just, or... I think yeah. it's because of its... Um, so much related to shame and disgust, which does have something so connected to my own early childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. And so it's so connected to that that it's not really actually about um, like beauty standards, really. Mm-hmm. It's like some relationship to feeling a certain way, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does, I guess. And to add on to that, um, and I'm just curious, my mom has a overactive thyroid. Mm-hmm. And for a few years there, she was very thin. But because I saw her every day, it didn't really, until she had like kind of a, a big attack and was ho- hospitalized for it, then you kind of see someone, you're like, oh, shit, her eyes are sunken and she's really skinny. She kind of speaks about like she never saw herself that way. Mm. Is that like a, like a body dysmorphia? Is that something that like you experienced like even when you perhaps were severely underweight that you didn't see yourself that way? And is it? Is it? Mm, well, yeah. I mean, I feel like yeah, the body dysmorphia is a real thing. Yeah, for sure. It's very hard to like know. You know right. what is an objective. Um, I guess, I guess what I'm asking is like, can you look at a mirror and be like, this is what I look like? Or do you even today maybe see a different version of yourself looking back that I isn't factual? It's funny because this that morning I was like say? walking around my house naked. <laughs> like, I was like, yeah, it's like for like, 30, I was just like rushing around. My son's out at his dad's house, FYI. So it was just sat there. <laughs> That's fine. People have naked parents yeah. all the time. In some That's families, it's fine. That's fine. Okay. He's 12. That's yeah, sure. Not, We're not doing that? No. Right. Sure. <laughs> um, but, and I was like, even walking down to the kitchen, like mm-hmm. grabbing my car, co- like Good. all of that. And it's funny talking about it now and just having come off of it. Like it wasn't I felt great, and um, it's definitely, like, light years different than how it used to be. Yeah. That's so good. But a part of it is, too, like, um, my my deeper belief than the thing in me that that, um, interacted with the eating disorder is, like, female, like, just, like, solidarity and... This idea that like um, we shouldn't be participating in the thing that keeps us um, like in these cycles of abuse, you know. So like right. whether it's like 
you're not good enough, you're not thin enough, you're not, like, whatever, like, the whole sort of that whole mm-hmm. mindset of you're mm-hmm. not working hard enough, you're not, you know, you're just not enough. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so important for us to fight against that. So, like, when a friend called me and she was on a play, in a play on Broadway, and she had to be naked, right? And she's like, I feel like, knows that, knew that I've, like, come out of sure. this experience. Um, she, I feel like... I'm developing a disordered eating and I feel like an obsession. Yeah. Right. And then like part of our conversation was just like a reminder that um, by engaging in that, you are participating in something that want to oppresses you. Oh yeah. Okay. You get what I mean? Yeah. So like maybe you're like totally perfect just how you are. And that voice actually isn't true and it actually is something that's trying to control you and take away Mm. your power and your peace and your happiness yeah almost by even giving it energy you're kind of buying into this idea that is the cyclical then yeah and that your value is your body right which is like absurd right and i'm sure if she's on stage people are oh someone naked and then 10 seconds later they've moved on or they're jerking after that (laughs) yeah yeah or whatever yeah totally (laughs) Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. I um, have had definitely some friends, and I guess you know, going to an all girls school it was definitely something that's like quite prevalent. Um, I fortunately and haven't kind of gone through that. Mine's definitely more of like an internal value thing and a perfectionism on achievement based stuff, which yeah. I kind of wanted to talk to you about. So. I have, and for you to speak into me, I have a real issue, and apparently there's a study on this with, like, Olympians who get gold versus the Olympian who gets silver versus the Olympian who gets bronze. Hmm. And the gold is great. She's happy. The bronze is happy because she's on the stage and beat out everyone else. (laughs) And the person with the least happiness is the silver medalist because she has a direct, uh, she beat everyone in the world, but no one cares except for this but didn't beat out this one mm-hmm. person. So she's really depressed. And I feel like I carry that a lot, like whether it's auditioning or, you know, even our experience, you know, say with Smilf, mm-hmm. it's like my lens on things is not so many people auditioned for this and you got here, but because I, within an arm's reach, meant Should we tell the story me? of you and the and on Smilf? Oh, sure, yeah. Wh- which is like... Um, I like, was just using that as an, as an example, this idea of like, yeah. Um, like it was like... Between you and someone for the yeah. series regular role. Um, and then we went for whatever reason with someone else. And mm-hmm. then so I wrote you the, another yes. role, but Thank it you. wasn't that like main role. And so in a way, part of you were saying like, rather than being like, oh, it was just between me and someone and I'm almost there and I'll get the next one. And I made such an impression that then she like wrote a role, right? Right. Um, Which is all true and those exist, but... But it's heartbreaking. Right. But if I had, if it was me and two others and I did it again, or whatever, or you just make it, it's like my life, like I. Like it defines, ends up defining. Like that feels like my narrative that I tell myself that I'm good enough to be there, but not ever quite good enough to like nail it. And that's kind of been this narrative that's followed me through, I guess, like the last like five years in Hollywood. It's Mm -hmm. like, oh, I get down to the final two. But instead of my narrative for myself being like, think of all the other people that have auditioned for this. It's Mm -hmm. this thing of like, 
there's something that I'm missing or I'm not, which is, it's probably not in any way in my control. I remember but. having that same thought okay. after almost booking this role on Boardwalk Empire. Huh. And, sure. You know? <laughs> yeah, like, of course. It's was, like the roles you almost get, right? Yeah, yeah. I was shooting this tiny movie in Texas and they flew me to New York and it was in front of all, you know, and I was like, sure. you know, like <laughs> this is going to, it's always that this is going to be the thing. Yeah. Um, and then I just was like, oh, maybe I'm always a second place person. Mm-hmm. I bet there are so many people out there who are just going to die having almost booked something. Sure. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. that's not on your IMDb. <laughs> that's not on your, well, she almost got that. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. And so I just wondered if you have, have those experiences or like how you speak into like trying not to, like I'm conditioned and we're conditioned because we're, the grade system and everything. It's like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it goes journey and more about the result on some level. I think it just goes back to uh, where you derive value and worth, and um, and then having one experience not be the thing. Like, take it for just okay. Today, I came in second, you know. Yeah, and like tomorrow's like a completely new experience. Because I do think we do we get stuck in these loops, but then also part of it. I mean, we just came off watching the Michael Jordan doc. Oh, I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> oh my god, okay. Kim, you I will. got! I will. I wore this um, my Jordan sweatshirt oh, you too. <laughs> yes, you're like all in. You're like, this is my life. <laughs> well, it's just so interesting, right? Okay. The way in which, and he's like hardcore and um, says that his addiction is competition. So he'll take. Anything, and it gets a little. He's like obviously the extreme version sure. to use it as a motivator to like perform. Mm-hmm. Um, so he almost does the opposite of what you're talking about. He's like second place. <laughs> like if that happens, he's like. And so rather than being like, um, that's who I am. I guess I'm always going to be in second place. He's like, like. Um, I will never experience that again. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> but I think the point is both are extremes and yeah. like maybe what if your goal is uh serenity? It, yes, partly. Yeah. It's like it's understanding not defining yourself by either your success or your quote unquote failure. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's really like the whole meditation process of like being how do you have separation between thought and belief, you know, feelings are not facts, mm-hmm. that that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting because it, it wasn't until someone had kind of mentioned this system because as a, if I take myself out of the equation, I can be like, come on, second place, you're getting a fucking silver medal, mm-hmm. like, great job. That doesn't undo the years you've put in and da-da-da, but... but Yet in that second place getting the middle situation, it's mm-hmm. like that is not my perception. And in fact, if someone says to me, like, bless Josh's heart, like if it, that ever happens, he's like, yeah, but think about it. Like most actors in this town aren't even getting callbacks in it. I'm like, hmm, not what I want to hear. Like that is not like right. not a helpful thing at that point. But. but it's also like you're someone who wants something and you're going after it, right? Mm-hmm. So there's also no shame in that. Yeah, you, so you're just going to, like, there is something to perseverance and there is something to resiliency. And there's not, there's no shame in having those qualities. 
And I think it's sort of like if you are on the stand and you got second place and if there's a way to like appreciate that moment, you yeah. know, and then also understanding like, yeah, these feelings of wishing I got first place are real and valid too. Right. You know, and it feels like it's kind of exercising that kindness that you're trying to yes. do for yourself with. Yeah. The self-compassion practice. So curious how, like, I consider myself a kind person. I'm kind to others, and then I'm just such a cunt to myself. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's such a weird And where does that thing. come from? <clears throat> I think it's probably this idea that I thought that, like, oh, I was diagnosed with depression last year, and it's like this negative self-talk. And I kind of was like, oh, this happened last year. But, like, through this process since the last time I've seen you, I'm like, oh, there's plenty of context clues where, like, it's been consistent in my life, this Mm -hmm. negative self-talk of, you know, I'm a piece of shit or I didn't work hard enough or, like. Did you hear it growing up by any of your caregivers? No. See, my mom is extremely supportive. But, I I mean, does she have negative self-talk? Because sometimes in the modeling is a certain way, oh, even if they're so loving to you. And you might absorb someone's anxiety or absorb yeah. someone's fear. I don't know. Because she's always really happy, but we always kind of joke that, like, <laughs> you know, are you? Yeah. Are you? <laughs> oh, I'm fine. You know, like, it's always mm. block, block, block. So, yeah, maybe. I could have absorbed that, Because I guess. maybe if... Um, there was, if you had experience of the displeasurable feelings mm. and the insecurity mm-hmm. and um, had learned how to integrate them as not self-defining, mm-hmm. right? Like, like these are all things no one knows. It's not like, like I'm raising a kid now and I'm like, God, I'm probably fucking up in so many, like we all don't know, but right. there is, I think, something to this idea that um, when we do experience sadness or anger or whatever, that it's not like, I don't need to do that, that there's a way yeah. to integrate those feelings so you can process them and move them through and then you don't get stuck in them. Yes. Yeah, that's definitely something that wasn't active in my childhood of like learning how to process anger. In fact, like even in acting, anger is the hardest thing for me to do. And it's fearful for me because I never grew up in a house where like I ever saw fighting so I never saw resolve so this mm-hmm. idea of like a fight even now my trigger is like well we'll just end it there. like it just feel like, like conflict is too- yeah so it's been a huge active part of like my 20s of trying to be like it's okay like we can have an adult conversation and air grievances in a calm manner and right like that's been and sorry. speak authentically yes and be met with someone who can hear that and mm-hmm. speak to their feelings and you can mm-hmm. actually repair instead yes. of like, I'm going to keep it in here. Yeah. And yeah. Just, yeah. I mean, it's a really hard skill, yeah. especially if you were never taught it, which a lot of us are, we're not, we're not. Yes. And then compounded by the fact that women are not supposed to be confrontational or have conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, just as a general belief, yes. you know, it would like be better if you didn't. Yeah. yeah like any, like the, right. Exactly. So, so there's comfortable for everyone, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's the whole trope of, girl, uh, like mean girl that like, we're going to be like really nice to your face and then behind your back, tear you down. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's like a universal thing that there's, 
movies about it. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite movies. Love Tina Fey. Um, but like, great movie. Very good. Very great. I heard maybe they're going to do uh, Mean Girls 2 or sequel in some way. Oh, I didn't like, know that. I don't know. I might just be making The that teacher up. is one of my favorites. The mm. principal. We'll keep you here till four. Yeah. <laughs> why he's just so funny. But I think that's like a really valuable tool to have and sort mm. of um, if you grow up with a belief system that like happy is the only accepted emotion when you do feel other things, it's, can, it's hard to process and then maybe you're feeling bad about yourself because of it. Probably. <laughs> Thanks, Frankie. <laughs> oh, nailed it. Got it. I'm realizing that control is a big part of my life. So I had um, some kind of early on, not underage, but early on like bad sexual experiences that turned me off alcohol for a while, but also this idea that I was ended up in situations that I assumed were my fault because of just how I um, interact. I'm quite like flirty and vivacious and stuff. And those, while I felt like those didn't shape me, I've noticed in reflection that, like, I have a lot of control issues. Like, I mm-hmm. make sure I never go in an Uber. I always drive myself places because I need to know, like, when I need to leave. I leave mm-hmm. like, but it goes into, like, the real minutia of my life of, mm-hmm. like, also following a career that I don't have control in. So I feel like I overcompensate with all these other things. Totally. I just don't know if you have a version of that. Yeah. Or- I mean, um, yeah, for sure. I mean, I having done a bunch of work in various mm-hmm. stages of my life, um, and 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 looking back at my childhood, where my mom did the best she could, um, but it was like filled with <laughs> abuse and neglect, like high mm-hmm. on the scale of sure. childhood shit. Yep. Um, and so then understanding having like an understanding of the ways in which um, all the tools I learned to get through that, um, which were so many things that ended up um, being gifts in my adulthood and also being things that um, disguise themselves as like, like even like, like even like codependency Mm -hmm. is a form of control, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it's like, so, so part of, Part of my work has been because, like, I think the codependency meets perfectionism. Mm-hmm. You know, like those are things; those are both forms of control. And sometimes, um, like the perfectionism thing, is really valuable for when you want to deliver something that you are so proud of, right? Mm-hmm. But how are ways in which that can um, be a negative thing? If it's like. Um, if you don't have compassion with that and empathy with that, right? Like, and that you can do your best and try your hardest and then that's it. And like, and so I yeah. guess there's, I've definitely completely identify with someone who has control issues. Yeah. It seems like I, I worry that, oh, I'm not trying to be a puppeteer to anyone in my life, but I do notice that like, there's a way I like things done and stuff that, or, or yeah, or just trying to control a social situation or whatever. And I'm like, oh, fuck, I feel psycho. Well, I feel like there's, it's like how, what's the reach of it? So it's one thing to like, like things a certain way, right? Like when I go to bed, I have a super controlling way that I sleep, Great. which gets me a full night's sleep. Great. So I wear a breathe right strip. I wear ear 
uh, wax in my ears. I have blackout curtains. My husband and I have two different mattresses that we put next to the, it's fucking psycho. Like, and because when I, before I learned all of that about Mm -hmm. myself, um, I would only sleep like five hours, um, because of my nervous system. Like that's, Mm -hmm. and so now I sleep eight hours. And so that kind of control doesn't hurt anybody. Right. And is just like self-knowing and Mm -hmm. self-care really. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's certain things that you like probably that don't actually have an effect I guess it's more me looking and going like, oh, why is it that in a social setting, like, oh, we're having dinner or something, then everyone goes, oh, we're now going to a bar, that that is a like triggering event for me because that isn't quite how I planned on things going, and I wanted to be home by this time because I've created these rules of like my own how I'll thrive and so I'll go, but then I won't go. Like, okay, so it's have like, you ever gone to Al-Anon? I feel like I might have said this before. Um. No, but I should. So I've been listening to a few podcasts where they talk about kind of the 12-step kind of program, um, which sounds great, feels like something we should all do. And Al-Anon, for anyone who doesn't know, from my understanding, is is kind of like the 12-step, but it's for people who have been around. Who, yeah, are the addict, but are... It could be just as detrimental. Yeah. Because you learn skills in which to cope with unpredictable environments and people Mm. or... You know, so, and it can also live within a family for generations. Mm -hmm. So your mom or dad doesn't have to be the alcoholic to have learned. Oh, my dad's an alcoholic. My mom's been married (laughs) three times and kind of like is the perfect woman, yet two men left her. So I think there's all these like issues of that, that I'm like, oh, that's that's a narrative that can happen. You can be great and people can go, I'm going to go sleep with someone else or I'm going to leave or whatever. So there's that. So, like, your party example, right? Mm-hmm. Um, through work in Al-Anon or whatever about getting clear with, like, what you need without imposing it on group and controlling group. Unless you're there with, like, um, someone you're there, like, a close friend or whatever, and you're like, I want to speak it out, right? Like, I'm having anxiety because I thought we were all going to stay here, and I really want to be in bed by 10, and do you guys mind staying here? Because that's authentic. You can ask, you can have a need and ask for it, and then they have every right to say, we really want to go to this bar, and then you can make the decision, well, tonight I'm not going to get a good night's sleep because I want to hang out with my these friends, or I'm actually just going to go home because that's what I need to do. And it can be clear and not like any of that muddy, murky, like, yeah, sure, I guess we can go, huh? Like, passive-aggressive. Yeah. Yeah, see, that's because I'm a people pleaser. I'm like, it sounds so fun. Da, da, da. And inside, I'm like, you, you're, you're not going to sleep. And that's normal. You're going to sleep. Be great. So, like, that's how I control it by, like, driving myself so I can tip out. And I always, you know, but it's, yeah, it's all these, like, kind of things that I'm learning through this process of, which is an exhausting process. I thought, like, getting labeled with depression, I'd go, cool, I'll learn how to fix it, done. And it's like, oh, there's so many things in my basement that, like, I thought that I was aware of all the boxes, like, Danny issues, man, man, man. It's like, oh, there's all these other boxes. And I'm like, I don't want to. And you don't have to, like, address everything at once. But as a perfectionist, I'm like, yeah. let's clean this basement out, Kim. Totally. Let's write a list. I deal will with say it head on. that the aspect of control, if there's a way to gain some, um, like, step back a thousand feet yeah. and look at it that way rather than being, like, two feet away from it, if that makes sense. Mm. When you can gain that kind of perspective, you'll notice your behaviors in a way that allows you to have that pause. 
in a relationship to where then there's like so much relief. Like if you don't need to fix anyone else's problems or you don't need to like control the night and you can just do what's right in that moment and take care of yourself, uh, there's so much freedom and relief in that. Mm. That sounds nice. It <laughs> sounds the opposite of how I feel when I'm in it. Yeah, because it feels like, oh, I'm letting people down. And, like, I've been the monkey at the dinner. Like, here's yeah. a story. Here's a comedy. And I love <laughs> that version of me. And it's like I expire after a certain point that I'm like, oh, I can't keep this up. Right. <laughs> I peaked too early or whatever it is. And they couldn't possibly see this other side of me that I'm, I guess, very insecure about. Right. So. And there's – it's – all signs point to um, people who know you mm-hmm. and are in relationship with you could 100% accept that other part of you and see that other part of you. Yeah. And if they can, then maybe they're not your people anyways. Yeah. That's been a big, I think you've said that to me before, and it's been a big thing of mine. Like, I think you said that I'm actually could be robbing people the opportunity to get to know that. I'll just use your words, Becky. <laughs> I'll claim it. So I said this great thing. um, And that was really interesting because it is, it's the most endearing and uh, thing that I love in other people Mm -hmm. is kind of like, not to, not to discount their outward facing personality, but those vulnerabilities are what make me lean in. And, but yet I don't feel that I would be worthy of anyone getting to know that version of me because I think it's a piece of shit version of me. So that is what I'm trying to mend. Well, and you're doing it. Trying to. And it's it's baby steps. It doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> uh, the last thing I kind of want to uh, touch on with you is this idea of, of bravery. Because kind of knowing, you know, a bit about your journey of, like, having a son and then, like, coming out to L.A. and pursuing something as a mother is something that I can't really speak to. And I guess, like, I kind of look at my version where I have two cats and that's really quite a different experience than a human <laughs> But yeah, just that idea of bravery of like continuing a pursuit of something that is so unpredictable whilst, yeah, being Mm -hmm. a mom. And and I don't know if you can kind of speak to that. When I got pregnant and moved out here and like got a roommate off of Craigslist, it wasn't brave. It was totally naive and insane. (laughs) But it was like this, um, just like a... I'm going to just go do it kind of thing, which, um, like, I I know a lot of people in my life at that time where I couldn't see it um, were like, that, you're crazy. This is crazy. Um, And I think part of it was, and then um, it was a total adjustment once Isaac was born um, because I hadn't even been around a baby before. So there was part of, like, the naivete and foolishness of youth that was Mm -hmm. driving that specific decision. Um, But where, yeah, so I think, and then where I just find the like stick to it, what is the word? Stick to itiveness? (laughs) Yeah, sure. (laughs) You know, is just um, part of that. My son really helped because all of a sudden, oh, I wasn't living for myself anymore. Mm -hmm. And it was up to me to pay the rent. And it was up to me to like, make sure he had a good education and all these things that I really wanted for him. Um, so it became this driving force of like, I'm just going to keep going and I'm going to keep going and we're just going to, fi- you're going to figure it out. Um, not to say there weren't like really uh, painful moments where 
like, and I've heard it on, on this podcast uh, with some of your other guests where, you know, like this one summer, meanwhile, like trying to negotiate the crazy eating disorder and trying to like not have that affect him or not have him see it. And then like, I needed to get better. Like it was like all in those early years. Mm -hmm. Um, Just that, um, yeah, like moments like the summer that I'm like, well, I guess I, I can't make a living this way. And then taking three, these three other sort of part-time jobs to piecemeal the rent. Um, like that, there are like certain moments that I remember like that, those six months specifically, um, where I wasn't hanging on. So, so sort of like desperately, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, strangling. The, yeah. yeah. Um, and I was like, getting paid by this one guy to help him start an acting studio. So I was doing like all of the work, like the, mm-hmm. you know, his website and that kind of thing. And then I was researching a book for this one woman, you know, how I was like her researcher. Mm-hmm. And then I was still tutoring. Um, and then at the tail end of that is when I got a job, this job on an ABC sitcom called Mixology, which then took me out of those like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it was, it was like the, it's always like the lowest moment. And then if you're lucky enough and in the right place at the right time for whatever reason, mm-hmm. um, that then it shifts. Right. Are you, um, what is the greatest thing about your son? What has he taught you? The greatest oh my thing he's God. You? He is such a, uh, like, I'm uh, enamored by him. I mean, and I don't think it's just because I'm his mother. (laughs) He's okay. Well, the thing that I actually like, aside from, there's so many things. So he's, he's this like hardcore animal rights, like vegan. Mm -hmm. We were not for the longest time. So he's three and a half years into his decision to doing that. So much where he is, he just has this like very, uh, compassionate heart and feeling for what's just and what's right. And then he's like this like willful, willful as fuck kid, which can be such such a hard thing when you're just trying to be like, just do it because it's going to be easier if you just do it. Like you like, so if he doesn't understand the reason, I mean, I I wonder where he gets it. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) My agent, my beloved agent, this guy, Larry, he's always like, let me guess, you're going to say why, why, (laughs) you know? Um, But anyway, so there's this part of him, um, which I really just admire. Mm. And um, like he went recently um, and helped uh, give these pigs on their way to slaughter their last drink. Um, and this is an, uh, he's turning 12 this month. So there's just like this part of him that's not afraid. Yeah. Um, and then, but the thing that I just like enjoy the most is his like wild intelligence. Mm. He's like light years smarter than me. And he has like totally been educated by, uh, the Simpsons. So he has this really funny sense of humor and he's like, his word puns are really funny. Um, and then he's just. And then he's also picked up a little bit of like, um, which is sad, but I'm also like, you're this like growing up as this kind of wealthy-ish, white, straight 
boy. So he'll be like, Mom, will you read my story? It's really bad. It's really bad. I didn't have enough time to put details in it, which is not the greatest habit, but I'm like a little bit appreciative that he's not like, read my story. It's really good. Yeah. Like there's a humbleness. There is a little Which is awesome. But yeah, so he, so all of that. And I'm so grateful that he still wants to hold my hand and cuddle. Um, and we have the greatest time together. That's so sweet. Yeah. I, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's nice following that. I think for me, it feels like, you know, I guess a lot of my friends are pregnant or having children at this age and it still feels like something that's so far away from me. So do you want, do you want it? I think I feel like the narrative is it happens. I mm. I do, but I just feel so ill prepared. So I guess it's like it's nice to know. Like, I mean, I was very ill prepared, right? And it were, <laughs> like, I think that's the fear is mm-hmm. that I'm pursuing something like that. It would be irresponsible. Do you know what I mean? That's well, kind of where that comes to from. Talk I'm about too, I'm too old to not know better. <laughs> but it's I don't know. I feel like sure. a lot of people don't ever know, or maybe they do, yeah. and maybe. It'll just like happen one day, and then you'll have to deal. Yeah, it's full. Yeah, and I guess that's usually usually how it happens. Um, what I just was going to say real yes. quick is like the idea with control. Yeah, um, come came out or comes out so strong with my son, mm. where it's been like definitely a learning process to let him um, not be like, "Tell me how you're feeling. Tell me how you're doing." Like just to be like. We're going to write, like my friend Tracy McMillan, who's wonderful, and she's this relationship expert. She actually taught me this because her son is now 22. Okay. And so we've been on this parenting journey together for over 10 years, but she's like obviously like this decade ahead of me. And she's just said, she's like, "Uh, Frankie, it's okay to ride in the car and just listen to music. Like, it's okay. And so that, like, and not like put my expectations on him and let him find his own expectations of himself and let him come to me like that has been like um definitely an evolution and i'm reaping the rewards of it actually what does your brain look like oh it was a seed well i my favorite like place to think of is like a deep forest Mm. it's so calming Mm -hmm. to me like Perfect temperature, too. Perfect temperature, the noises of a forest, Mm -hmm. the life you can't see, but it's there. Mm -hmm. And then, like, very wide, like, sequoia trees. Like, that, my favorite. And then just, like, that the trees are breathing and you're there. That sounds good. I want to come to your brain. (laughs) It's the, like, wish. And then, I mean, it depends on the day. There are days where I'm, like, it's, like, just mush. Or it's the forest, but you hear, someone's like, fuck, is that going to chop it down? chopping it down. An animal goes by. Yeah. like, we've got to give them their last water. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. That's good. Um, I love you. I love you so much. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pretty Depressed. A huge thanks to Action Park Media, our executive producer, Kevin Connolly, and our epic crew, Raul, Kevin, and Naro. Make sure you subscribe and give us a good rating and review so we can keep bringing you more epic chats in the future. Cheers. Cheers.